I want to welcome you all here today. I'm uh, delighted to be here. It's the first time in a long time since uh, maybe since the pandemic began. And it's nice to see some of the familiar faces and new faces and be here together in person and online. So today we're going to talk about being consistently kind. And that title might bring up questions in the mind right away. Like how in the world do you do that? And um, there's kind of a subtitle to it, uh, an unexpected fruit of the path. And I just want you to kind of um, think about maybe your own practice, how it was for you when you began and how you've progressed and the things that have changed in your life, in your practice. And this idea that kindness is a natural outgrowth of practicing the Buddha's path kind of came to me gradually over the years. Um, it was about 25 years ago that I met Ajahn Pasano for the first time. And so I've known him all this time. And one of the things that I really noticed over that long period is how much more kindness I kept seeing develop in him. It was so beautiful. And in 2009, I was living at Chithurst Monastery in England and Ajahn Suchito was the abbot and it was his 60th birthday. And he was giving some reflections about what it felt like to be 60 years old and what, his, what, what kinds of things have changed, I guess, for him. And one of the things he said is that now for him, there was so much kindness. Like that was kind of the backdrop for him. Um, that this kindness was there. And it, it started to get me thinking about this kind of natural evolution of kindness in us as we practice the path. And more recently, we've been hearing people like Ajahn Bramali, who visited us a couple of weeks ago, talking about how the precepts and practicing virtue especially when we get deeper into it. Now, like those five precepts that we just repeated, that's kind of the baseline. And we can take that um, to various different levels of beautiful, harmless, compassionate life. And really, when you look at it, it's kindness. If, it's, if you really take kindness um, on fully, then you're going to keep the precepts and we're going to live in a, in a way that's wholesome. And of course, that's not the whole um, story, right? Because there are so many situations in which it's difficult to be kind. And maybe our instinct or our habit or our conditioning would lead us to, to act otherwise. 
And I'm sure you've got questions already, or maybe some of you do in your mind about boundaries. Like when do you stand firm on something or when do you walk away? And that also can be an act of kindness because kindness needs to operate in concert with wisdom and clarity. So I wanted to share a few small stories of times when I've seen people struggle with this and their choice to be kind has really helped in the long run. A number of years ago when my mother was living in a retirement community and I was looking after her, I got to know some of the people, quite a few of the people who lived in that community. And there was this one man, he was in his mid nineties and he and his wife had been happily married for 65 years. But then she developed dementia and it became so severe that she would say things to him like, you're a monster. And it was so painful. And there were many other problems. And as, as the disease progressed, eventually she was moved to another facility. And even though it was so difficult um, to care for her in that place where the husband had been living, now he was lonely. He said to me, the bed seems so huge. I mean, they had this tiny apartment in this, in this complex, right? And, and then one day he said to me, the people he's sitting with in the dining room for dinner said some things that were mean. And he said, they tell me I smell. Do I smell? And I said, I haven't noticed any kind of smell. He said, I shower every day. And he was talking about this sadness of these interactions and the ways people were treating him. And he was asking me what he should do. And I said, you know, my experience with this kind of thing is be consistently kind. Whatever they say, just be consistently kind. And of course, it's okay to move to a different table. <laughs> That's fine. But if you're consistently kind, you're never going to regret it. And I've seen times like that when people who have been unkind will come back later and apologize. And this happened in particular with someone who was coming into a, a new monastery situation. And, you know, sometimes there's a lot of tension in monasteries. You may not think that's possible, <laughs> but you have a lot of people living together, coming from different places and working through possibly some of the hardest things to work through in the heart. Someone new comes in and other people might feel threatened or something and they're not so nice. And this person decided that she would just be consistently kind. And what she found over time is that each one of the people 
who had been either dismissive or a little bit rude or, or something came to her and apologized. Now, of course, that's a monastic community. You might not find that in every situation, but to recognize that your kama is up to you. And what good can we do if we're harsh in response to other people's harshness or disregard? If we in turn disregard them, we're no better. We're not really living in any way that's better. If we're consistently kind, you can look back 20 years ago and remember some uncomfortable situations, maybe sometimes when things were painful, but you don't have to have regret. So, I want to reflect on this today. Like, what does it mean to be consistently kind? How do I do that? And it can happen to us at any age. So I talked about the man in his mid nineties. And now, you know, there was also a young girl, 10 years old, I think she was talking to her mom and saying, this, this other girl's being mean to me and, and the things she's saying, and she's crying, you know? And she said, I've been kind the whole time. Why is she being mean to me? And of course, there are lots of reasons. And her mom is great. And she got to, you know, explain to her some of the things that can be going on with people and how we can try to understand that and be compassionate and still walk away. Consider whether you really have to be in the situation you're in or is it better to leave it? Now, the Buddha gave some pretty clear guidelines around when one should stay and when one should go. And he based it all, as far as I can see in the suttas, on how we are developing ourselves. If our good qualities are increasing and our unwholesome qualities are decreasing, we should stay. If our unwholesome qualities are increasing, and our good qualities are decreasing, we should go. If we are practicing well and it's really going well, stick with it. But if that's not what's happening, change the situation. Now, of course, some situations are very complicated and we need to take them on a case-by-case -case basis. But if we can remain kind and compassionate, again, we don't have to have regrets. Now this goes a lot deeper when you pick up the Buddha's teaching on what he says, you can either, uh, the sutta is either called making a wish or um, without volition, something like that. The Buddha said, if you keep Beautiful moral virtue, sila, which really is kindness, consistent kindness. So you don't have to wish, may I not have regret, as I've been saying. It just is automatic. And then if you don't have regret, 
said, you don't have to wish that you'll feel joy springing up in you. It just automatically does. You can have a kind of joy around being kind, having been kind and morally upright, having, not having regret. You can just feel good about that. And that, that joy is there. And he said that joy, when you have that joy in your own goodness, you don't have to wish that you'll get the spiritual um, good feeling of PT or rapture. It automatically comes naturally. And when the rapture is there, he said, you don't have to wish to have tranquility. It happens. The body becomes calm and tranquil. The mind becomes tranquil. And then the sukha comes, the bliss, and then the samadhi comes, the stillness of mind. And then you don't have to wish to be able to see the way things actually are, it just happens. And so does the letting go of clinging. the dispassion with those things that are all falling apart, the cessation of suffering and awakening. It's a natural process. So, you know, if it was, um, it is that easy, but it's not that simple because obviously we'd all be our aunts already. It takes our willingness to go back into that over and over again. And also to be kind enough to ourselves to allow for the hindrances to be there and work with each one, the feelings that we have, that we hold them and with mindfulness allow what's there to be there, to be honest with it. You know, when the Buddha said, look at your mental states, said, you know, if there's greed there, you know, if there's hatred there, you know, if there's delusion there. And he doesn't say right away, well, just block that out. The important thing, first step is to be honest, what's there. Because we, there's so many kind of tangles for us to unravel in the course of our practice because of all that conditioning, all of that history, all of the, the worldly conditions we find ourselves in that are challenging. And that that's okay. The Buddha gives the, the tools, the resources for us to do it. No wonder he says that patient endurance is the highest austerity because that's what we need to continue to practice and really develop the mind. So, like I said, I'm you know, Saj and Pasan are developing this kindness over 25 years. I mean, he had probably been developing it a lot longer than that. That's just when I met him. 
and I think we've seen maybe maybe you've seen the same thing in Rumpa. Mahaprasurd, I don't know. I mean, he's such a wonderful person. I'm sure his many, many years as such a good monk, it's been a huge, a huge source of that kind of uh, kindness and goodness becoming embedded in the character. And this is, this is what we all have available to us to really be able to purify the heart. And so a lot is gained when we're in challenging situations and we bring kindness to it, even though that's not the way we feel. We still need to be able to investigate the feelings that's an inside job. We don't have to let that spill out onto the people around us. We can be clear and caring with our own experience, kind to ourselves. Now, a lot of times kindness in the Buddhist teaching is, it's metta, right? And a lot of times the way we're taught to practice with metta is kind of formulaic. So I wanted to start with this idea of just, just looking at kindness itself in your experience of it. And when we can understand that that really is metta, kindness without attachment, without some kind of um, agenda to get something in return, that really is metta. It's, not, it's a non-attached, boundless love loving kindness, friendliness. And so maybe, I don't know, maybe your, um, your own experience with practicing metta is that you can easily bring up the feeling of metta in your heart and you can easily expand it through your whole system and you can easily expand it to the whole world. But for a lot of people, that's not the case. Raise a show of hands for how many people is the, the evoking or invoking of metta easy when you want to practice metta. It's okay to raise your hand. That's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Good, good. And maybe it hasn't always been easy. So maybe you can understand why it isn't for everyone. Or maybe some of you have questions about what I'm even talking about, which is also possible if you're kind of new to this. And then to really kind of start looking at, you know, how do I experience kindness just, just in ordinary life? Can you remember a time when you were kind to someone? Just one instance. Now, sometimes people even have trouble doing that. And I blame that on cultural conditioning because <laughs> I think that in many ways we are taught to be so critical of ourselves that when we're kind and when we do good things, we dismiss that as if, 
and I've heard people say this, but that's just what you're supposed to do. That doesn't count. That's just ordinary good behavior. Well, ordinary good behavior counts for a lot. <laughs> and we should acknowledge it in ourselves and be happy about it. And this is something that I see in the suttas in many places where the Buddha himself, before he was enlightened, he talked about how he reflected on his own good qualities. And then whenever he talks about, you know, having some uh, insight arise or some gain in the practice to really just look at that and notice that it happened, acknowledge that it happened, you know, really kind of solidify it in the mind. And then, you know, when, when one awakens, when we read that in the sutta, that someone realizes nirvana, they know they've realized nirvana. So there's always this kind of solid, clear evaluation and understanding that this good thing has happened, what has happened, and that it's good. And I think this is a really good lesson for us, that we can do the same thing in our own experience. When good things happen, when we do good things, to really acknowledge that and, and be happy about it. So I think we should meditate. We're going to break at 11. Is that right? Okay. Let's meditate for about half an hour. Is anybody new to meditation? Okay, we have a couple of new people. Great. Um, find a seat that's really comfortable. If you'd rather, if com a more comfortable seat would be on a chair, move to a chair, anyone. If you're comfortable on the floor or on a cushion, that's fine too. But you wanna be able to really find a position to sit that is so comfortable, you won't have to fidget or move and you won't have any pain, hopefully, or if you do, maybe it's a pain you're used to and you know how to work with it. But we want the body to be comfortable and we want the mind to be able to settle now, we don't want to get so comfortable that we fall asleep. We also want to be alert. So that's another key factor. It's that nice balance. Calm and relaxed and alert and present. So we're going to meditate for about 30 minutes. And if you do need to adjust your posture a little bit during that time for comfort, please feel free to do that mindfully. So your spine is relatively straight and your closing your eyes and letting your mind 
relax a bit and letting the body settle and become calm. You might take a few deep breaths at the beginning just to let go of any tension that you might be carrying. We need to really give ourselves some time in the beginning of meditation to settle, to let, let things calm down. And maybe listening to a little Dhamma has already helped start that process. Focusing our attention. And I'd like for you to recall that time or any time that you have been kind. I know some of you here and I know about those times that I've witnessed in your life. And it can be something simple, like a smile or a kind word, even kind thoughts. Sometime when you've really listened deeply to someone, where you've comforted them, or maybe a time when you've given someone something that has been helpful for them. Maybe some kind of protection or support that you've offered, that you've provided. And I want you to recall how it feels. How did it feel? One day I was kind of hurrying through the rain to get inside and there was a person inside the door and they opened it for me and I could come in quickly. And I looked at her face and it was so aglow with happiness to be able to do that kind thing. You know it feels good. And see if you can really bring that feeling up in yourself. Feel it right now.
And if you can feel that feeling, I think this is a place to start practicing loving kindness. If you have that feeling, if it's a felt sense in your body, maybe you can invite that to spread through your body. And the Buddha said, just first fill one quarter of the mind imbued with loving kindness, just one quarter of the mind. And I think of the mind as really taking in the whole, the whole body, the whole area around your body. So when the sutta says, I will abide pervading one quarter with a mind imbued with loving kindness, and do that however you feel, that quarter, that quarter of your body or the area in which you're sitting. And of course, this is a mental feeling this feeling of kindness. Maybe it feels like warmth. Maybe it's just a kind of soft joy, whatever it's like for you, spread it through one quarter. And maybe you need to come back to the actual memory of that kind moment the feeling you had then to reinforce that feeling in your system now. And then the Buddha said, do the same thing with a second quarter. So spreading it to include half of this area, this, this body, space, and then expanding to the third quarter and the fourth quarter. And in my mind, I sort of imagine myself, my body, head to toe, and the space around it being filled with this beautiful energy or feeling of kindness.
And then the Buddha says, do the same thing above you, like a dome above your head and below you. It's like you're sitting in this orb or cylinder of kindness. You said, above, below, around, and everywhere, and to all as to myself. This kindness goes out, maybe filling this whole room, maybe filling this whole space of community coming together online and in person. And always to ourselves in the same way, to ourselves in the same way. When we can be as kind to ourselves as we are to other people, as kind to other people as we are to ourselves, for that time, we've set aside our ego. We've set aside me and mine. And in this beautiful state of loving kindness, we've also set aside any negativity. And if the felt sense of kindness begins to dim, bring back the memory of being kind. Just infuse your whole system with that feeling of kindness, that goodwill.
And then the Buddha said, we should think, I will abide pervading the all-encompassing world, the whole world with loving kindness. Abundant, exalted, and immeasurable. Without any hostility or ill will. So taking that experience of filling this whole area around us and expanding that out to the whole world. And from here, just stay with that feeling. If other thoughts intrude, come back to that memory. Come back to a felt sense of kindness.
And now as we're coming closer to the end of this session of meditation, we want you to bring your attention back to your own heart. Really allow it to glow with loving kindness. Feeling that warmth, that kindness towards yourself. And the peacefulness in your body and mind. More questions? Anybody online have any questions? Yes. Yeah, so the 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 experience that she's sharing is that she could remember the experience of being kind, but then the mind said, "Oh, but that's not a big deal." And that is very common for us. And I think we have to change our thinking about. So that the next thought is, it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing to give someone a smile. You know the difference between someone smiling at you as you walk by or someone being grumpy. Or someone says something to you in a kind way. Or says something to you in a harsh way. And so... Did you have a feeling with the, with the thought that was good, that was positive? I mean, the initial thought of the kind, kindness that you did. Yes. 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 Yes, so the... Yeah, so the first thought of that kind act was positive, was good. And then that, oh, but that's, that's not a big deal. That's nothing. That just squashes it all down. You have to bring it back up again. You have to tell that voice. You have to be kind to that voice too. After all, that comes from a long conditioning that we've had. And you just say, no. This is a good thing. And you come back to that, that initial feeling as best you can. And it can take some ongoing effort to really work with that inner critic that like, you know, as much as we give, it's not enough idea. And that is very, very common 
and it's very debilitating. It's not helpful at all. You know, so much about the practice, about being able to go into meditation and let go and be and go deep is about the orientation of the mind. It's like, what is going on in the mind? What is the feeling? Can that spiritual uplift be there in us? And we just have to deal with these patterns and work with them. Don't let them win. <laughs> Thank you for that question. So what is the kind of, what is the best way, the skillful way of moving in the direction of being kind internally and externally when we're struggling with or experiencing fear, especially with in relationship to illness and death? So this development of kindness in us is not an isolated experience, just stand alone. It comes along with developing wisdom, and I said developing virtue. And so the wisdom that we develop when we're afraid is to come back to the reality that we're all going to experience sickness. We're all going to die. And to be able, when the moment when we're afraid, the best thing is to just be present with that fear. To hopefully sit down in a safe environment and really feel that in the body. And stay present with that feeling and let that work through. But right there, you can practice kindness for yourself. And if the inner critic is like, why are you like not better than whatever its complaint is? No, no, <laughs> no, we're gonna accept this reality as human beings. Naturally, there's fear. Before we understand the Dhamma, there's fear. Once the Dhamma really takes hold in us, there's realization particularly um, stream entry experience, that fear is gone. And when we even, you know, maybe after that, a person can experience the mind doing it, something old and habitual, but you know better. And you can come back to that truth that it's okay to get sick. It's okay to get sick. It's okay to have, I, I, we know people who have illnesses that, you know, diagnoses we don't ever want to hear, <laughs> you know, but they're, they're using those experiences as a way to practice. And we know that it's a natural course of human life, of any life. And, and the spiritual um, development of the mind helps us to I want to say see beyond the fear. And so in the moment when you're feeling strong feelings, be present with those feelings. That's the most, I think the most point, poignant, poignant, the most potent application of mindfulness. It's to be aware of what we're feeling and be present with that feeling in a way that that feeling can continue to move, change, and dissipate. 
and use wisdom to understand how that feeling arises, kind of what the conditions have been that can cause that to come about. That's all part of the practice. And then when we understand the feeling, when we understand like, oh, when I hear about, you know, whether it's cases of pandemic or there's a fear I've been exposed or there's a fear that I've got some symptoms that might mean something serious or something like that, then we can remind ourselves, this is a natural process of human life. And we can practice with those reflections on a daily basis when nothing's happening so that we really are ready. And then when we already understand and there's a kind of a knee-jerk conditioned reaction, we can kindly say to the mind, we know this is okay. It's okay to die. I love this um, description. I don't know if anybody still knows who Ram Dass is. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry, Ram Dass. <laughs> but he, um, he said he went to his teacher and he said, there are people ask me about dying. They're afraid of dying. What should I tell them? And his teacher said, tell them it's totally safe. <laughs> <laughs> and the more we recall our own goodness, the more we believe and understand that is true because there's nothing to fear in death if we've been doing doing our best to hold good moral precepts and, and then you could say well what if i haven't well then get busy doing good things and <laughs> dilute that old comma and set it aside and make it in the past don't carry it forward ajahn gunha's not wonderful teacher in Thailand. Um, he said, cut off the past. Don't carry those memories of things you've done wrong with you. It keeps perpetuating the comma. So really regret, know what you did, have appropriate regret and let it go. And, and that vow to not do that again, that vow to really replace that kind of behavior with goodness and generosity. And the kindness will naturally come. That's what I think. Who is the online uh, question from? Okay, so I wanna make sure I heard you correctly. I think what I heard was um, advice about when to stay and when to leave a situation. Is that the first question? Yes. And then the second one, was it a rep repeating the moral, the five precepts? Yes. Okay. I'm gonna take the second one first. Everybody knows these. <laughs> to avoid taking the life of any living creature, to avoid um, taking anything that is not given. So no killing, no stealing. To avoid sexual misconduct, so behaving in a way that your sexual energy is never harmful to anyone, including yourself. And the, pre, the fourth precept is really to not lie. Oftentimes we throw in a, avoiding false and harmful speech. 
And the fifth one is to avoid consuming alcohol and drugs that will cause us to lose our mindfulness or be careless. Those are the five. And I'm gonna talk more later today, I think about staying or leaving a situation. And there are many complexities to it, uh, particularly in some situations like a marriage. If it's a job, you know, you can really evaluate whether or not you're being, um, whether or not your management is, is um, morally upright or not, <laughs> whether or not you're being pressured to do things that are against the precepts or against your integrity, those kinds of things. Um, could, are, are good reasons to go somewhere, to look for a different job. And you don't have to quit until you find one. <laughs> you know, be, be, be sensible and take care of yourself, but also really establish your, your values and your boundaries and live according to them. Um, like I said, in a, in a marriage, for example, it's a lot more challenging. A lot of times we can get it into a kind of um, work ourselves into a place where we just, everything we hear our partners say, we hear in a negative light, even when they don't mean that. And what, one, we can, of course, reach out for some kind of help to see if there's a way that another person that you both trust can help you kind of sort through things and move more into working out your own part of it, looking at, yourself, looking at yourself. So before leaving an important relationship, you wanna do everything that you can to work out your part of it, to make sure that your own delusion, your own greed, your own hatred isn't what's contributing to the problem. And then you can see what happens after that. Um, there's a lot that can be changed, but some things are immovable. And then you, when you've tried everything you can try, you may have to decide to walk away. So that's general advice. Specific situations are much more, it's much more important to talk about specific situations with someone you trust who's got the wisdom to give you good guidance. It's very hard to see on our own when we're in the thick of something sometimes. So it's very helpful. Um, go ahead. It's a good question. So the question is about having a family member whose, whose parents have passed away a couple of years ago and this person is still hanging on to that memory and that grief. And then the question is, what's the kindest thing to do? Is the kind thing to kind of jolt them out of that? Um, this person hasn't married, so they don't have, um, they haven't restarted their life after this. And you can, it depends a little bit on how well, how, how close you are to them. Um, maybe there's a way to encourage them to do more things with their life. Um, 
it is the case sometimes, and you have to kind of see, you have to know the person. Sometimes you do have to say something that is, is jolting a bit, but it's still the kindest thing to do. And we have to feel it out with wisdom and with our own kindness and compassion to know um, sometimes we really do need to hear something straightforward that really helps us. And the Buddha, he talked about the way a Tathagata speaks and what counts. It has, it's always going to be truthful. It's always going to be for good purpose. It's always going to be with a mind of loving kindness. But sometimes it's going to be something the person doesn't want to hear. And that's okay. The Tathagata would always say it at the right time also. And so this is, this is the kind of thing to consider. What's the right time to approach the person? What's the right way, maybe inviting them to get involved in something? And if there's resistance and there's this constant going back into the grief, then maybe you have to really straightforward say, look, you've got a life to live. You know, you can't do this forever. We all lose people. You're not alone. Good luck. <laughs> I wish them well. I can't hear you though. Yes, yes. So another good question. So this is the kind of situation where you want to be kind, but there's a lot of frustration and maybe some anger that's coming up because you're afraid for the person, particularly like maybe these are your children doing something that you know is going to lead to suffering. And then what do you do when, when we're having these feelings? Well, the first thing is to take care of the feelings before you talk to them. So that we're not, we're not speaking out of that frustration and any kind of anger. That's the best in my experience. Although sometimes people, it, sometimes it is helpful for people to know how frustrated you feel. But to say that not, at a, as a blast towards them, but just expressing it. I'm feeling so frustrated, I'm so afraid for you. And this is why I really feel like I wanna say this. I want you to know what I think the consequences are gonna be. And again, you have to know, you know, it depends on how old the child is. It depends, you know, um, sometimes when they get to be like in their mid-teens or whatever, you've got to figure I did the job, the best job I could. And they're really, you know, making their own decisions now to some degree. Um, it's always important to work with our own experience 
and not let that be the driving force of, you know, if it's, if, if we're upset to not let that be the driving force of the conversation. And so this is where equanimity really comes in. You know, there's a point at which as a parent, we have to let go. I have two children. Um, they're 48 and 50 years old. Yeah. <laughs> it's really um, an amazing practice to be a parent. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. So this question is about having been told and trained, it sounds like, to do an act of kindness and then forget about it. And today I'm telling you exactly the opposite. <laughs> and what I think that the intention is behind saying, do an act of kindness and then forget about it is to not hold it like an ego thing. Like, oh, I, aren't I great? <laughs> I did that, <laughs> right? So this is a very important distinction. If, if there's that ego hit, like I wanna do this so I get praised, or I wanna do this so I feel good, or I wanna do this. We need to look at what's missing inside in the heart and recognize that real kindness doesn't have that clinging attachment. So it's not an ego thing. And we can notice the difference. And the way you notice the difference is if when you reflect on it, it or when you do it, it's sticky. Like, you know, it feels, there's a, do you know what I'm talking about? There's a sticky feeling about it. If it's kind of like puffing up the ego. And the kindness that I'm asking you to consider, maybe it's even better starting with some small thing that you're not gonna feel all puffed up about, right? So that we can get the sense of that distinction. The kindness that doesn't have any wish for anything to come back. And if we don't get thanked or praised, we don't feel at all bad. So if, if, if we have some reaction like that, like I didn't really get what I wanted out of this kind act, then we have to back up and reflect on where the mind is uh, when we're doing things that are good. And I think that that's really what the people who were telling you that were coming from. It's not, it's not that we should forget the goodness. Because if you look at the Buddha's teachings in the early texts, in the early suttas, in the Pali Canon, you'll see the places where he talks about these uh, perceptions that we should reflect on and the first there are six the first three are to reflect on the, the qualities of the buddha the dhamma and the sangha to inspire ourselves with that and then remembering your own virtue 
And then remembering your own generosity and reflecting on that. So it's like, yes, you do good things and you recall it, you know you have done it, but not in an ego way, not in a like. Does anybody have any words for the difference? It doesn't matter, as long as you know. <laughs> it's like, it's not in that way. And then the sixth one is to reflect on the devas, but what you reflect on is the good qualities that someone had to have in order to be a human being and then be reborn in a heaven realm. And then what you reflect on is your own good qualities that are like those qualities of the devas. So the Buddha, the Buddha was not trying to puff up our ego. He was telling us, recognize non-self all along the way, but reflect on this goodness to, to lift up the mind, to encourage it in the right direction. What do you think? Makes sense. Thank you. Okay. One more follow-up question. Why not also reflecting upon acts of kindness rather than just words? Yes. Reflecting on the acts of kindness others have done for us is also just as good. We should be able to do both. I focused on the kindness that we do to try to get that feeling going, but we can also really reflect on the kindness that others show to us or to anyone else. And this is where the, the third Brahma Vihara of appreciative joy really comes in. You know, where you see good anywhere and you can rejoice in that. Someone is being virtuous, someone is being generous, someone is being kind. It's like, let that joy for that really come up. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. So the question is about feeling the, you know, you kind of know there's no self, but you still have that feeling of self, is that right? Uh, uh, well, fear. The fear, yeah. oh yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really having the, you, the way I go at things, <laughs> defilements, is from every, I just threw everything I've got at it. <laughs> and, and it's like, okay, there's that fear. So feeling the fear, being present with it, acknowledging it, bringing the wisdom to it to help the mind understand, to help let go. So that's looking at, you know, non-self. It's looking at, um, you know, attachment and dukkha and you know desire and things not being the way we want them to be and you're just examining all of that kind of thing and sometimes when it's a pattern that keeps coming back and you've already looked it over really really thoroughly you just need to do something else oh this fear is here again yeah number 43 in my repertoire of <laughs> mental states <laughs> you know i'm gonna go do some chanting, or I'm gonna, you know, listen to a Dhamma talk, or I'm gonna meet with a good spiritual friend and like just, okay, I'm done with you. Yeah. So could you all hear that? Okay, kind of. 
it's a situation where you're being asked to do something that's really not your job. It's the person's job. And really maybe, you know, being out of being kind, you do it, but then you feel like you've just gotten used. You've been a doormat. So it's very important to really bring wisdom into this. And it, you know, we all kind of maybe err on one side or the other at any point in time, but we learn from that. So just that feeling of, yeah, this really isn't right. This isn't the right thing for her to do, to ask me to do this. And sometimes we can set up a dynamic. We'll talk more about this this afternoon, but it's very important to look at, you know, what's really appropriate in the situation, the appropriate thing is for the person to, to, to say no. Maybe that's the appropriate thing. If it's really, you know, I, I have this, this is my job, this is the, the boundary around which, you know, this, this is my, these are my duties. And, you know, finding the best way you can to say, <clears throat> it's not appropriate for me to do this. You know, and you can even think into the future, like, what's this going to lead to? If I keep <coughs> taking on what I shouldn't be taking on, um, is that going to lead to um, less being less respected? And, it, and it, you know, as long as we are clear with this message and not disrespectful, that's why we have to work with whatever negativity we have beforehand. Um, it really is, it really may be the most appropriate thing to say no. And as Ajahn Gunha often says, use wisdom to solve the problem. So we do have to have that wisdom faculty sharp. And sometimes we may have to consult a friend to get a, a, an unbiased perspective. Okay, we're gonna break for lunch. Thank you all online. We're gonna come back. Our plan is to come back at one o'clock. So I hope to see you all then. Here. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.